Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. Today's Near-Death Experience is from Raymond Moody's classic book, Life After Life. This is uh, starting on page 96. This is the experience of a man named Jack. And Jack is uh, suffering from uh, bronchial asthma and emphysema. He has uh, some bad respiratory diseases. And, and so he calls the uh, lung specialist and uh, named Dr. Coleman. And um, he is to be uh, put to sleep there. Um, so anyway, he's some there's complications anyway, and, and things don't go all that well. Um, and so they are scheduling an operation and, uh, and I'll pick up the text there. This is again on page 96 of, of Raymond Moody's book, Life After Life. He finally consented on a Monday, uh, for the surgery, although he was very worried about it. They scheduled the operation for the next Friday. Monday night, I went to sleep and had restful sleep until sometime Tuesday morning when I woke up in severe pain. I turned over and tried to get more co- to, into a com- more comfortable position, but just at that moment, a light appeared in the corner of the room, just below the ceiling. It was just a ball of light, almost like a globe, and it was not very large, I would say no more than 12 to 15 inches in diameter. And as this light light appeared, a feeling came over me. I can't say that it was an eerie feeling, because it was not. It was a feeling of complete peace and utter relaxation. I could see a hand reach down for me from the light, and the light said, Come with me. I want to show you something. So immediately, without any hesitation whatsoever, I reached up with my hand and grabbed onto the hand I saw. As I did, I had the feeling of being drawn up and of leaving my body. I looked back and saw it there lying on the bed while I was going up toward the ceiling of the room. Now at this time, as I soon, as soon as I left my body, I took on the same form as the light. I got the feeling, and I'll have to use my own words for it because I've never heard anyone talk about anything like this, that this form was definitely a spirit. It wasn't a body, just a wisp of smoke or a vapor. It looked almost like the cloud, clouds of cigarette smoke you can see when they are illuminated as if as they drift around a lamp. The form I took had colors, though. There was orange, yellow, and a color that was very indistinct to me. I took it to be an indigo, a bluish color. The spiritual form didn't have a shape like a body. It was more like a, or more or less circular, because when the light reached down for me, I reached up for it with my hand, yet the arm and hand of my body just stayed put because I could see them lying on the bed down by the side of my body as I rose up to the light. But when I wasn't using this spiritual hand, the spirit went back to the circular pattern. So I was drawn up to the same position the light was in. 
And we started moving through the ceiling and wall of the hospital room into a corridor and through the corridor, down through the floors, it seemed, or on, on down to a lower floor of the hospital. We had no difficulty in passing through doors or walls. They would just fade away from us as we would approach them. During this period, it seemed that we were traveling. I knew we were moving, yet there was no sensation of speed. And in a moment, almost instantly, instantaneously really, I realized that we had reached the recovery room of the hospital. Now, I hadn't known where the recovery room was at this hospital, but we got there, and again we were in the corner of the room near the ceiling, up above everything else. I saw the doctors and nurses walking around in their green suits and saw the beds that were placed around in them. This being then this being then told me, he showed me, that's where you're going to be. When they bring you off the operation table, they're going to put you in that bed, but you will never awaken from that position. You'll know nothing after you go to the operating room until I come back to get you sometime after this. Now, I won't say this was in words. It wasn't like an audible voice, because if it had been, I would have expected the others in the room to have heard the voice, and they didn't. It was more of an impression that came to me, but it was in such a vivid form that there was no way for me to say I didn't hear it or I didn't feel it. It was definite to me. And what I was seeing, well, it is so much easier to recognize things while in this spirit form. I I was now wondering, like, now what is that he is trying to show me? I knew immediately what it was, what he had in mind. There was no doubt. It was that bed, it was the bed on the right, just as you come in from the corridor, is where I'm going to be, and he's brought me here for a purpose. And then he told me why. It came to me that the reason for this was that he didn't want any fear when the time came that my spirit passed from my body, but that he wanted me to know what the sensation would be on passing that point. He wanted to assure me so that I wouldn't be afraid, because he was telling me that he wouldn't be there immediately, that I would go through other things first, but that he would be overshadowing everything that happened and would be there for me at the end. Now, immediately, when I had joined him to take the trip to the recovery room and had become a spirit myself, in a way, we had been fused into one. We were two separate ones, too, of course, yet he had full control of everything that was going on, as far as I was concerned. And even if we were traveling through the walls and ceilings and so forth, Well, it just seemed that we were in such close communion that nothing whatsoever could have bothered me. Again, it was just a peacefulness, calmness, and a serenity that I have never been found, uh, that have never been found anywhere else. So after he told me this, he took me back to my hospital room, and as I got back, I saw my body again, still lying in the position, or sorry, still lying in the same position as when we left, and instantaneously I was back in my body. I would guess that I had been out of my body for five or ten minutes, 
but passage of time had nothing to do with the experience. In fact, I don't remember if I have ever even thought of it as being any particular time. Now, this whole thing had just astounded me, took place, or took me completely by surprise. It was so vivid and real, much more than any ordinary experience, and the next morning I was not in the least afraid. When I shaved, I noticed that my hand didn't shake like it had been doing for six or eight weeks before then. I knew that I would be dying, and there was no regret, no fear. There was no thought, what can I do to keep this from happening? I was ready. Now, on Thursday afternoon, the day before the operation the next morning, I was in my hospital room, and I was worried. My wife and I had a boy, an adopted nephew, and we were then having some trouble with him. So I decided to write a letter to my wife and one to my nephew, putting some of my worries in words, and to hide the letters where they wouldn't be found until after the operation. After I had written about two pages on the letter to my wife, it was just as if the floodgates had opened. All at once I broke out in tears, sobbing. I felt a presence, and at first I thought maybe that I had cried so loud that it had disturbed one of the nurses, and that they had come in to see what was the matter with me. But I hadn't heard the door open. And again I felt this presence, but I didn't see any light this time. And thoughts or words came to me just as before. And he said, Jack, why are you crying? I thought you would be pleased to be with me. I thought, yes, I am. I want to go very much. And the voice said, then why are you crying? I said, we've had trouble with our nephew, you know, and I'm afraid my wife won't know how to raise him. I'm trying to put into words how I feel and what I want her to try to do for him. I'm concerned, too, because I feel that maybe my presence could have settled him down some. Then the thoughts came to me from this presence. Since you are asking for someone else and thinking of others, not Jack, I will grant you what you want. You will live until you see your nephew become a man. And just like that, it was gone. I stopped crying, and I destroyed the letter so my wife wouldn't accidentally find it. That evening, Dr. Coleman came in and told me that he was experiencing a lot of trouble with putting me to sleep, and for me not to be surprised to wake up and find a lot of wires and tubes and machines all around me. I didn't tell him what I had experienced, so I just nodded and said I would cooperate. The next morning, the operation took a long time, but went fine. And as I was regaining my consciousness, Dr. Coleman was there with me. And I told him, I know exactly where I am. He asked, what bed are you in? I said, I'm in the first bed on the right, just as you come in from the hall. He just kind of laughed, and of course, he thought that I was just talking from the anesthetic. I wanted to tell him what had happened, but just at that moment, Dr. Wyatt came in and said, He's awake now. What do you want to do? And Dr. Coleman said, There's not a thing I can do. I've never been so amazed in my life. Here I am with all this equipment set up, and he doesn't need a thing. Dr. Wyatt said, Miracles still happen, you know. So when I could get up in the bed and see around the room, I saw that 
I was in that same bed that the light had shown me several days before. Now, all this was three years ago, but it is still just as vivid as it was then. It was the most fantastic thing that has ever happened to me, and it has made a big difference, but I don't talk about it. I have only told my wife, my brother, my minister, and now you. I don't know how to say it, but this is so hard to explain. I'm not trying to make a big explosion in your life, and I'm not trying to brag. It's just that after this, I don't have any doubts anymore. I know there's life after death. That's the end of Jack's experience from Life After Life by Raymond Moody. There's a couple of things that I find interesting. Um, first off, the light. He, he sees this ball of light in the room. He's not seeing another person, per se. He's not seeing... Uh, I, you know, I mean, the description almost sounds like what might, some people might describe as an orb of some sort. But he's not seeing a person, and yet he sees a hand extend from this light. Um, it's unclear whether it looks like it's like this, this light that's like this hole into this other universe or something, and, and a hand is reaching through it, or whether it's more like this ball of light has a hand that extends out to him. And it's not even clear if... Let me go back and see whether he saw the hand or if he just sensed it there. Let's see. Come with me. I want to show you something. Uh, oh, he did see a hand. He said, reach, okay, I could see a hand reach down for me from the light. So, yeah. And then I love how he says that he reached out and took the hand, but that his hand that he could see was still lying on the bed. So it was like he reached for it, but... Uh, the sensation of movement was there, but the uh, visual representation of a hand moving was not. And he says, too, that he, um, let's see, I w it wasn't a body, okay, this, um, let's use my words for it, I took, oh, that's it. I took on the same form as the light. So it sounds like he's this ball of light, you know, 15 to 20 inches, uh, something like that. Um, and his description says this, it was definitely a spirit. It wasn't a body, just a wisp of smoke or vapor. It looked almost like the clouds of c cigarette smoke you can see when they are illuminated as they drift around a lamp. The form I took also had colors, though. I was orange, yellow, and a color that was indistinct to me. It took, uh, let's see, I took it to be an indigo, a bluish color. So I love the, um, the efforts to explain, because uh, a lot of people, you know, this is a very simple experience, um, as far as many of the ones that we've read in the past, where there are tunnels and, and lights and beings and landscapes and so forth. This one, he never leaves the hospital with this being or this orb, whatever it is. Um, but he is a detail uh, experiencer. And so he gives these details, you know, the wisp of smoke, the sense of, you know, that it's almost like the clouds of smoke um, illuminated by a lamp. 
and how there was colors in them, um, orange and yellow and indigo. Uh, that's a little bit hard to imagine, and yet he's giving us this explanation so we can imagine it a little bit. Now, some people will see a person, some will see no one at all, but they'll sense a presence, kind of like he did later when he he senses the presence of the person and has this full conversation with them. And the being tells him that since his uh, desires are for someone else, he's going to have his desires fulfilled. He's going to live. And the being leaves and he no longer has any experiences of this sort that he mentions. Um, But he says, here's another point, all of this was three years ago, but it's still just as vivid as it was then. It was the most fantastic thing that has ever happened to me and has made a big difference. And of course, he no longer has any fear of death. That no longer having fear of death seems to be something that is consistent with every experiencer, even those who have distressing near-death experiences. They don't necessarily want to die right away. And they say, i got a lot to live for. I've got a lot to accomplish. I have a mission to fulfill. But they don't fear death anymore. That seems consistent throughout. Um, I No experience that I've read in the past comes to mind, I should say, where they say that they're afraid of death after what they've experienced. So, interesting. And one of the things that I think is significant in this is it is a simple experience. And Raymond Moody, who wrote this book, um, the experiences in them tend to be rather simple experiences. You know, like leaving the body and seeing a light and, and so forth. And there is a little bit of landscapes and so forth, but not very much. And I think one of the reasons for this is that at the time this was written, there were scattered experiences. Everybody knew of someone that had some kind of experience, but, you know, they'd uh, chalk it up as a dream. Or they'd say, you know, it's it, it was kind of a special experience. I don't like to talk about it because I don't want you to think I'm crazy. And, and so they don't talk about it. And uh, And it was at this time when this book came out, and actually several others like it um, in short succession um, that people became aware that this was not just a phenomena that uh, no one else has ever experienced, but rather that, that people are experiencing this. And here's a record of, you know, a hundred different people who have had this experience, amazing phenomena or whatever. And it was in the years that followed that people reading that and say, oh, I had an experience like that. Well, that happened to me too. And then they'd come forward with their experiences or others would come forward later and saying, since that book came out, you know, I had this experience and then I went back to research to see if this was completely unique, that anybody, see if anybody else had had similar experiences. And I find these books by Raymond Moody, by so-and-so. And it kind of opened the the doors a little bit, that time period, and that's in the 70s. If you notice, a lot of these books came out either in the late 70s, 80s, or after, really. Um, there aren't many books 
about near-death experiences, certainly not using that title since Raymond Moody coined the term, um, where people had these kind of experiences in before the 70s. And yet, throughout human history, there are tons of, of such recordings of these kinds of experiences. Uh, Emanuel Swedenborg uh, records them. Plato records such experiences. And yet, it becomes the work of classic literature, so to speak. So it's not like anybody's compiling these or studying them. It's, it wasn't a study at the time. These were, you know, it's like the works of philosophers. So if somebody has this experience and they start recording it, oh, there's this weird philosopher who talks about these weird experiences. And what do we make of this? I don't know, but here we go, you know. And because these few people who did record the experiences um, were also good writers and good orators, um, then they were given sufficient credence to be able to get their work published, basically, in, in some way. And, uh, and so that's, that's kind of what we see. And yet, many of the people, uh, it, it's not like the 70s was some kind of spiritual awakening per se. Whether it was or not, I don't know. But, but because people would read these experiences, and then they'd contact Raymond Moody or other such studiers of near-death experiences and say, oh, that happened to me too in the 40s. Other people would say, you know, this happened to me when I was a kid in the 30s, you know. And it's like all these people who are alive who have had these experiences and have kept them silent came forth. I don't know if if it's all that, you know, if it's that important to know that um, it's only in the past few decades that these things have been widely known. But I do think it's significant that they are now known to the point where anybody who wants to research these things, anybody, can get on the internet and type near-death experiences and start researching. Of course, you're going to find a lot of experiences of people who nearly died and how it helped them realize that life was worth living or whatever and, and that, you know, don't waste your time and, and so forth. And they now have an outlook on life because they nearly died. And that's as far as their experience goes. But now we have, you know, if you keep researching and you keep looking through those things, you'll start finding um, experiences of those who have not only nearly died, but actually died and gone to a light and had this incredible experience. And, and there is tons and tons of information out there. And we've pointed out some of the websites where you can learn more of that. But the point is, is that, is that this stuff is available now to learn about, which means we're going to keep learning more and we're going to keep getting more of these experiences coming into these various sites. And uh, I'm hoping that this podcast can be one of those sources. And uh, if you would like to share your experience, I'm, I'm cool with doing interviews and I'd love to do interviews. I'm kind of waiting on contacting people to invite them to do interviews until we get the new website up and hopefully we can get the RSS feed working properly and and it can be a little bit more uh, dynamic <laughs> the website and so forth but in the meantime and it will continue to be so afterward I invite you to call uh, 970-NDE-CAST 
That's 970-633-2278. And share your experience. I would like to put it on the podcast. And or or call about a question that you have about any particular thing and I'd love to address those uh, on the podcast so again once again thanks to all of you so much for listening